I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through the dinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Good evening. You're listening to the April 7th, 2013 live cast of The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And tonight we will not discuss the status of Justin Bieber's imprisoned pet monkey, OG. That's his name. (laughs) Though we would like to express our concern that people still have pet monkeys. Indeed. And and we will not discuss Snoop Dogg's statement that an openly gay rapper would be about as welcome in that industry as an openly gay football player would be in an NFL locker room. Why won't we discuss it? Because he's Snoop Dogg. I mean, really, we appreciate that Snoop Dogg is a supporter of same-sex marriage and all, but as with all predictive comments about whether or not openly gay people will be accepted in a given environment, Snoop Dogg's words may say more about Snoop Dogg's behavior than anyone else's. Hey, should we put that on a shirt? What would Snoop Dogg do? No. Oh. Additionally, we will have no comment on whether or not the judges have gone too far this time Mm -hmm. on a certain celebrity has-been dance competition program, though we would like to express our continuing astonishment that this show is still on the air and that anyone watches it. Mm -hmm. While we don't give a damn about any game show judges, we do actually care about the general public and don't feel this show can be good for them. And we will not be discussing who may or may not run for president in 2016. 16. Why? Because we're still exhausted from the election in 2012. Uh-huh. As in bone deep, can barely get out of bed. Oh my God, don't leave another Facebook comment on my wall about this exhausted. Uh. So we don't care if the potential candidate is someone we love, Hillary, Hillary. or someone we hate, Santorum. Boo. We just don't care yet. And we don't care who Madonna's daughter is currently dating and don't figure she will either in a couple of months because she's 16. Leave her alone. We think if John Hamm is such a big baby about being such a big baby, mm-hmm. he should put on some fucking underwear and shut up about it, <laughs> but we'll be happy to go first. And we will not discuss whether or not being a huge international celebrity has ruined Halle Berry's life. <laughs> Though we have to admit that we don't know why anybody wants another picture of her either. Mm-hmm. But... Though we have nothing to say about her, God knows everything else is on the table on tonight's Dinner Party Show. Good evening, I'm Lyle Johnson. And I'm Kyle DeWitt, and we're two gay Christians with Two Snaps for Jesus. 
And tonight, we have been asked to bless this episode of The Dinner Party Show with our special brand of accepting, inclusive Christianity, which properly carries Christ's message of love and forgiveness right up the backsides of folks like Tony Perkins and Rick Santorum. We ask that our dear Lord and Savior, who wants nothing more than to bless every single marriage on God's green earth, also bless this episode of The Dinner Party Show and its hosts, Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Indeed. Please see to it, dear Lord, that their special brand of loud-mouthed and sensitive comedy is directed not at all Christians, <laughs> but at those among us who are not properly spreading the teachings of the New Testament. Uh-huh. Please see to it that in between making fun of people who won't sleep with them anymore or give them writing jobs, that Christopher and Eric make an effort to recognize those Christians who went to such trouble to enlighten their fellow parishioners about the gay community that they broke off and started their own congregation when those bigoted old biddies refuse to get the message. Indeed and amen. I'm Lyle Johnson. And this has been Two Snaps for Jesus. And Two Snaps for the Dinner Party Show. I like those two. They're sweet. Yes, they really are. They actually sort of seem kind of what I would think of as being Christian. Absolutely. Having stood up under adversity and struck out on their own with a message of inclusiveness and love. In a bitchy, backstabbing, two snaps for Jesus kind of way. Again, very Christian. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we'll spend the next 20 minutes welcoming you to the Dinner Party Show and giving you technical instructions on how to listen to our show on our free mobile apps and all that sort of things. But we'll devote the last hour of the show to that, right? Right. I think we're actually going to do a special show just about talking about listening to the show. (laughs) A how-to episode. Yeah, the DIY. Um, It's a brave new world, folks. Brave new world, brave new media, brave new world. App. Very complicated. It's very complicated. It's actually not very complicated. That's the good part. There's just a lot of different ways to listen to the Dinner Party Show for free. Always for, for free. free. The apps are free. The downloads are free. The iTunes is free. It's all free, babe. It's free. It's free and it's fun. It's fun and it's free. Who is the guest tonight? I keep it keeps slipping. I keep uh, forgetting. She's a writer. She's like a is, is it, it like, the, the Twilight? I, I think no, maybe Hunger Games. Maybe <laughs> Hunger Games with the bow and arrow and and the actress with the face. Yeah, and no. I think her family owns the Uncle Ben's Corporation. Yes, that's who it is. It's Anne Rice. That's it. Anne Rice. It's alive. <laughs> But it won't be for long because when she gets in here, she's going to kill you. (laughs) Is that really a clip from the Frankenstein movie or is that a West Hollywood hairdresser does Frankenstein? I actually think that's Gene Wilder. I think that's Gene Wilder from from, um, from whatchamacallit. We're getting a... Young, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. There we are. Told that by was... the voice of God in our headphones. That was Mr. Brandon. Yes. So Anne Rice is here tonight. We have been promoting her appearance all week long on our Relentlessly. Facebook Relentlessly. We have so many questions. We're so excited by the number of questions. Because that, we that got means for there her. may be a lot of people actually listening. That's what I said before we started the show tonight. I said, <laughs> I have a stomachache. I'm a little nervous because tonight people may actually be listening. We're um, very happy. But we do have loyal listeners who chime in every week, and they're back again. Freddie Espinosa, Greg Wilkie. Buffy Peterson has changed her Facebook name to Mavampy Peterson. 
I think that's excellent. <laughs> or, excuse me, I should pronounce it correctly, Ma Vampy Peterson. I see. And uh, the list goes on and on. Justin Simpson. Now, do you know that Justin Simpson is working on a rendering of Joan L. Sam's, which he posted about on his Facebook page this week? I have not seen that yet. I don't know yet. if we should tell Miss Joan L. Sam's that this is in the work. Uh, because we don't, nobody's ever seen her photo on the show. We, we keep can her. spring it on her. We can, okay. It should be very exciting, so... Well, Donnell seems to be a pretty good-natured sort. Seems to be. I, good-natured, but I wouldn't say self-aware. Oh, okay, we're just not going to go there. I'm sorry. I always walk right up to the line with her, and I know she's a dear, dear friend of yours from she's back in the day. She's a lovely lady, and she has her own special worldview that she shares with us. She'll be here this week, as will... As will. We didn't tell our listeners this was happening last week, but we sent Jordan Ampersand on assignment. Uh, if you're a member of the gay community or routinely harassed by members of the gay community by listening to the show, uh, there was an event in Palm Springs last Last weekend called the White Party, and we thought it was a good assignment for Jordan. So we sent yeah, Jordan in earlier. Like he, we could stop Jordan from going to the White Party. How did it go? I hear he called in and you did a report with him. Well, I think that, you know, you'll just, uh, you'll have to see, but I would uh, say it's just about what I think you'd expect. You didn't, from, you didn't physically from Jordan. assault him because you he weren't was in the studio with in, him. Another city, so no, oh. I was locked in the studio here. We've really we've got to work. We've got to work on work process with you and Jordan. It's not well, a, maybe if we could like tie him to a chair when he gets here. We we tried that once, and he swallowed a ball gag. Yeah, I was not in right. favor of putting the ball gag in his mouth, but you couldn't be stopped. Well, he wouldn't shut up, but it didn't help. Uh, nobody here can shut up. That's the whole point of our show. That was the original title. We can't shut up. <laughs> So we decided to I do can't a radio shut up show. and go to this report from Breck Artery, actually, currently. We do do we know what Breck Artery is doing this week? I something to do with <laughs> the news and like uh, uh taxes or something. You know Breck. He's always on about I something. Don't, we're about topical to find and out. important. Take it away, Breck. We take you now to Breck Artery, live from in front of the White House. Breck. Good evening. Well, the anarchists who have hijacked the U.S. Congress and forced their radical agenda on the country continue to move us closer to the banana republic status that will allow their big-ticket donors to operate their first-world corporations in a third-world environment. Ordinary Americans are being forced to cash in their hard-earned social safety net to subsidize the banking and oil industries and pay for a bloated military to protect the assets of multinational corporations abroad. But the news isn't all bad. Stocks have never been higher. Corporate profits and bonuses are through the roof. Thanks to the last financial crisis brought on by the kind of irresponsible but federally insured speculation that continues unabated today, corporations have been able to slash wages, lay off workers, demand more of a smaller but more desperate workforce, and drive those profits to new heights. Best of all, those profits are helping to create the illusion that recent blind, deaf, and really, really dumb spending cuts aren't hurting the country. Thanks to the triumph of the radical yet craven anarchist cell caucus holding Congress hostage, we have begun running the government with the kind of economic policy finesse not seen since Herman Cain was a presidential frontrunner or your last game of Sim City. 
too chicken to actually face hard choices and take responsibility for making them, the anarchists and their Republican enablers have taken a single blind across-the-board cut to all government spending without regard to need, merit, or public safety. Though the press seems content to focus only on the end to White House tours as the only price we are paying for this latest economic irresponsibility, there are actual consequences to this kind of thoughtless economic policy. Quietly, we've closed hundreds of air traffic control towers, making travel much less safe for everyone. Food and drugs go uninspected. The border is not as well defended. Thousands involved in cleaning up and keeping us safe from nuclear waste have been laid off. We are reneging on promised veteran benefits and closing educational opportunities for the young and underprivileged. This list includes all government programs. All of them. It is worth noting that in SimCity, when you blindly turn down the government funding levels, just as Congress has done, valuable assets like roads and bridges begin to collapse. Planes rain out of the sky, fires go unfought, the economy declines, and the people and businesses die off. On the bright side, the alleged job creators in the top 10% now control more than 60% of this country's wealth, a dramatic and growing increase. With a well-paid radical faction in Congress tasked with making sure they get to continue to keep their government-sponsored upward redistribution of wealth by tricking the undereducated and gullible into believing that their radical government overreach is the patriotic and conservative path, their ability to create jobs seems undimmed. Now, if only we could get the job creators to create some jobs. Until next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show will be the judge of that. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Ann Rice will be with us shortly to enjoy the caviar that we've got. What's that noise? You're freaking me out, Eric Shaw That was Quinn. me being glad that, that Ann Rice that's is That's your Ann Rice Woo sound. Woohoo! Queen of the night! Um, it, it, but this is the hors d'oeuvre section of the evening where we brought in some topical news stories we want to chew over. Who are, Who's going to go first? Is it going to be North Korea or Da Vinci's I Demons? I swear to God. Let's start with Da Vinci's I Demons. So, I, I, there is a show coming up on, what is it? Stars. stars. Yeah. yeah. The it's people stars. who brought us Spartacus, so I had high hopes and whatever, and... It looks as though it's called Da Vinci's Demons, and it mm -hmm. looks as though they are getting ready to turn Leonardo da Vinci, noted famous inventor, great mind, genius, and gay person from history, into a straight guy to suit popular prejudice. And I am going to go absolutely insane mm -hmm. into orbit if they do it. It just makes me—it is so unbelievably offensive. It, it is as though somebody were going to make the Martin Luther King story and they were going to have him portrayed as a white man. It just... It just makes me furious. I have only because of... Or a sympathetic white girl who wrote down the experiences right? of her housekeepers and changed the and world. saved everybody from, <laughs> uh, yeah, discrimination. No, they, they, it, 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 I've only just forgiven David Benioff for Troy. For Troy, Troy which was, was to talk about that. They completely changed the story of like Troy. Like a 2,000-year-old right. epic, Homeric epic about this, uh, a whole number of things, but certainly not the least of which being about the romance between 
um, Achilles, Achilles and, and Patroclus, yes. and they turned him into Brad cousins. Cousins, which mm-hmm. really isn't the same. The guy kills the king I, of in Troy. In some parts over... of the South, it's the same because you Just get into really, it with yeah, your cousins. I don't yeah. even want to get off me, Daddy. You're crushing my cigarette. <laughs> um, yeah, I just no. I that's yeah. So, but here's the deal. We were you brought this to my attention, and so we did some research, and it looked like they were doing an initial. I don't want to say charm offensive, but that was what it was like with the gay press, and they were saying no. There's a scene in the pilot where he expresses admiration for a male prostitute, as do we all, you know, blah blah blah. And um, then the trailer came out, and there's a scene in the trailer of him being wrapped in the arms of some beautiful woman and dragged into bed. So you're not the only one that's starting to pay attention I to this after Elvis. Is covering it extensively. Out. And there is no character in the show called Salai, which was the name of Leonardo da Vinci's lover of 25 years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who's playing that part. The show takes Leonardo da Vinci was arrested when he was 24 years old for having sex with other men. That's a pretty official record mm-hmm. of his uh, sexuality. And then the show begins when he's 25. So he's right in the thick of it and should be rolling right out of those charges and yes. kind of getting his career off and running. And We'll see. It premieres on Friday, so I will either come in with my hair on fire next week and, I don't know, planning some... What do you even do? I have no idea how to even respond. Well, you talk about it. You talk about it. You use, for instance, your internet radio show to talk about it and draw people's attention to it. Because what needs to happen is there needs to be an increasing level of hostility in the marketplace to this type of straight washing. Like, it was taken for granted for so long. If you look at the documentary, The Celluloid Closet, that was based on the book by Vito Russo, they go through an incredibly long list of all the movies throughout history in which the gay storylines were just purged by Hollywood or the, the gay details of a historical figure's personal life were just purged in the film version. And it, it it's by people like us speaking out and saying, you know, we're the audience. We're a big section of the audience for this program. And if you do this, you're going to piss us off and yeah. we're going to talk about it a lot. I, but the thing that astonishes me is that Spartacus has gone, I, I think, pretty much completely as far in the opposite direction as any show I've ever seen. That's the show this is literally going to replace Mm -hmm. in the time frame. It's been on for years. It's been a big hit for the network. Everybody's looking at it. So why would they take this sort of tack? Why would they literally spit in the faces of an audience that's been loyal to them for the last three years with this other program? It's very very unwise. It's it's not a good idea. But I I also think that what we're seeing is the uh, limits of progress and that the idea of a series, even on cable, with a gay hero is still too frightening to people. That what they've done that makes this especially crummy is that they've taken a historical figure who's very well known, made him the center of the show, and washed out all of the sexuality. Because we can't have a, a right, really important... And that's the thing that right. offends me the most. It can't be... Um, I can't ever remember his name. It can't be Achilles, mm-hmm. you know, and it can't be a Leonardo. And that's the thing that really sets my teeth on edge. It's Absolutely. I, because I forgave Shakespeare in love because when he fell in love with Gwyneth Paltrow, he thought she was a boy. So mm-hmm. it was like, all right, that's kind of vague. And with Gwyneth, it is sort of, you know, up for grabs even without the movie going on. So. Right, right, absolutely. So, and there was other, so we're also this thing it. with, uh, yeah, then, so we're, the big news is that, yeah, we've got our eye on the Da Vinci's demons, and then apparently there might be a nuclear war. There's not going to be a nuclear war. Let me let me explain to people why I am not afraid of North Korea's nuclear ambitions. Because their leader from... looks like a four-foot-tall nesting doll? <laughs> there's that. But there's also the fact that every missile test they've tried to conduct has failed. 
right? There's that. Um, CNN.com is reporting that their attempt to put a satellite in space was successful, but I had heard the opposite, that it was not successful. I don't but know. But we wouldn't but... know. And that's the point. We wouldn't know. And the reason is I re- I was thinking about doing a film They don't have like electricity pro- much in they that country, do they? don't have information. Look, there is a wonderful book that's a, it's, I didn't finish it because it was such a challenging read by an author named Barbara Demick called Nothing to Envy. And the title Nothing to Envy is a take on a North Korean children's song called We Have Nothing to Envy in the World, which means we are the greatest country on earth. And the only way currently that a North Korean can believe they live in the greatest country on earth is if the government and poses a complete media blackout and makes it a crime to look at or listen to any foreign programming at all, you know, good luck getting it inside North Korea. Right, you'd have to have somewhere to plug in the television. Um, The country has had widespread famine issues since the, uh, essentially since the collapse of the Soviet Union. That what happened was North Korea was doing okay internally as an experiment when the Soviet Union was a large communist empire and when China was a different nation than it is today. You know, sort of largely isolated and resentful and and, and not a a financial player on the world stage as it is is now. And then essentially when those two things changed, North Korea lost its support and just couldn't feed its people anymore. So those big armies that you see marching on camera are starving. They're literally starving. You know, there were reports in 1995 that the famine was so widespread that members of the uh, – the, and, and I'm blanking on the name of the official name for the military – literally began to die in large numbers. And that today there aren't liter- people dropping dead of hunger in the streets. But what Barbara Demick, the author, says – and she's conducted a, a huge number of interviews with people who've escaped. And what she says is that people are dying quietly and at home of malnutrition-related illnesses that it would be inconceivable to die of in most Western nations. So – this is this is the internal workings of the country that is posturing and threatening us. They, they've got no— And I think it's worth noting that while they may have the fourth largest standing army in the world, the, their primary responsibility is keeping their own people in line yes. in, un, under such an oppressive regime. Yeah, and, and how is the fourth largest standing army in the world going to perform when they're being fed occasionally? You know, I mean, I think that's an important – like the Iraqi military during the first invasion was a pretty formidable force and they deserted immediately because they were badly managed and they weren't being very well taken care of. You know, and those are all things to consider when you actually look at the, a country as a threat on the global you stage. You know, that's what I always think of when you see one of those – like a Bond villain or whatever. I always think – What's in it for the henchmen? You know, yes. what are they getting out of this, being treated like crap and, you know, he hits a button and they fall into the shark tank? And why do they stick around? What are they, are they getting paid, you know, a million dollars a year? Or, like, what is it that the evil henchmen stick around for with the evil villains? Well, uh, I think that's an excellent point. I think in the case of North Korea, the reason <laughs> the people are, are are sticking around is because they, they've been lied to on a massive scale. They don't have access to outside information. And here's the quote from the Barbara Demick interview that I thought was the most fascinating. This cruelest thing you can do is tell a North Korean that many Americans couldn't locate North Korea on a map. And the reason she says it is because they're all taught that we hate them and we're trying to destroy them day and night. That's what and they're we, taught. We really never. Well, my dear boy, I I never exactly. think of you at all. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that completely obliterates the fantasy that they've been brought up inside of. So you anyway. can't really have much of an arch villainy if nobody is arching you in the first place. Exactly. So we're just thinking that nothing's going to come of this. So why is he doing all of the? Is there, does Deming or anybody have some idea about why 
Kim Jong is doing well, all we this. We were talking about this the other night. Saber rattling, carrying you on. You had seen some uh, some reports on the news that said he was trying to be depicted as a, a wartime leader internally because he's just taken over from yeah, his father and I've he wants to drum up this conflict so that, that he can look strong. That's the theory I've heard is that it's about yeah looking that it's really about how he appears in ter- inside the country because they don't see our media. They only no. see their media. So everything they're seeing is is about him saying to those people, not to us at all. So mm-hmm. maybe it's not even relevant for yeah. the rest of us. Which I hear is the sa- a similar explanation for the behavior of, who do you, you call him Amandine, Aminajad. <laughs> President Amandine. <laughs> his saber rattling and his visits to the U.S. are primarily about appeasing the hardline Muslim clerics in his own country. So anyway, I, look, I, I think that the more one reads about nations that are being depicted as menacing threats in the media, the, the less afraid one becomes when you look at their actual capabilities and their actual recent history. And that's how I feel about North Korea. They just don't have the capabilities to launch a missile that would reach America. They, they could potentially do some damage in the region, but I, I just they haven't demonstrated the pure firepower to be able to pull it off. Well, I just don't think it would behoove them. The, the other big, I think, wild card question in all of this is where is China? Well, that... It, that is a very good question because what, where China is is they're right on the other side of a border that they do not want to see collapse. They do not want to see hundreds of thousands and millions of North mm-hmm. Koreans come streaming across the border, and they are sick of North Korea making them look bad. They were, they've been an uneasy ally now for many years, and they want them to calm down. The thing that North Korea is doing, and I guess we're just going to do the whole show about North Korea Apparently. because I've had enough tea. Maybe we'll wrap up with this. The thing that North Koreans are doing that is uh, that is shocking to me, particularly when it's depicted as being a totalitarian state is they're committing piracy against the Chinese, <laughs> which is the dumbest thing they can do. They're massive only ally in the whole world, and they're going to start staging raids against their fishing vessels off the coast. Really dumb. Well, really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and there you go. And they are, uh, they are executed for practicing private business. And when the famine hit in 1995, people who tried bartering and trading food were executed. Yeah. Well, yeah. when people didn't get bread in France, they cut off everybody's head and took whatever bread they could get their I hands on. I just can't see how much longer this can go on. I, I can't either, and I, and I feel for the people inside of North Korea, and I— um, I, they deserve a better fate than starving to death or dying quietly at home of malnutrition-related illnesses. Or being governed by a four-foot-tall megalomaniac. megalomaniac nesting doll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Now that we've figured out the world That's stage, enough hors d'oeuvres for me. It's time for a I'm word for from one of our smart... What are you ready for? Soup. Soup, yes. Ann Rice will be with us in the soup. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Life got you down. Tired of all those pesky regulations? Is the liberal nanny state establishment infringing on your constitutional right to do whatever the hell you feel like? Are a bunch of bleeding hearts worried about murdered school children trying to deny you the right to buy and use weapons of mass destruction? Sounds like it's time you got away to Somalia! With no effective national government for decade, Somalia offers the kind of haven true mavericks like you keep saying you're looking for. Who needs roads, healthcare, or law enforcement? No one here will try to prevent you from owning a machine gun. In fact, we encourage you to carry one at all times, because when there's a problem here in Somalia, you're on your own. From the spark 
sparkling ruins of the former capital to the dark, post-apocalyptic wasteland stretching on as far as the eye can see, Somalia beckons to those like you, yearning to break free of the bondage of a social safety net and working infrastructure that is keeping you from living up to your potential. If you're tired of a strong central government and the running water, electricity, and civil order that implies, then Somalia is just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> Only kidding, we don't have doctors or taxes, because there's nothing to pay for. Just an opportunity to scratch out a subsistence living while you avoid the roving bands of thugs and terrorists who are taking full advantage of our extreme free market opportunities. So, if you think you'd be better off with a government small enough to drown in a bathtub, come to Somalia and be free of government and bathtubs! Somalia, for people who think government is the problem but who have no idea what that really means. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Soup's on. And now it's time for astrological advice from Twan, Queen of the Stars. Hey, Twan, Queen of the Stars here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Uh, Gemini, you can't have it both ways. Well, there's trouble in the stars this week, but it can be the good kind if you play your cards right. Venus is still in Aries, raising temperatures across the zodiac. But with the new moon in Aries, that could quickly come to a fever pitch. Unless we're talking about Capricorn, and really, why would we? Because what would we say, hmm? For the rest of us, who might actually get around to doing something, now is the perfect time to strike while the iron, among other things, is still hot. Jumpstart your diet or exercise program. Follow up on that business scheme you've had in mind. Ask that certain someone you've had your eye on out for a romantic date. Or, Capricorn, just get up, get dressed, and get anything done because there's got to be a first time for everything. So, get out there while the getting is good, and Capricorn, maybe you can just get out of the way? Till next time, this is Twan reminding you to watch out for the stars. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Soup, brought to you by your perpetually victimized gay brother. I will have you know that I am writing a play about all of you. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. She is here. Oh, wait, that's the wrong sound. She's here. Thank you, gentlemen. She stepped on the cat. (laughs) She stepped on a cat that the children hated, and so they're cheering. And about 30 seconds before we went live on the air, she picked up her coffee cup and said, there's no coffee in here. There was a mad scramble here in the studio to get her coffee. Coffee Coffee and Splenda. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show, Mom. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you, Christopher. How are you doing? Thank you, Eric. We really appreciate you coming back. You're just my favorite gentleman in the whole world. Uh (laughs) Aww. 
Um, where have you been? Did you go someplace recently? Wink, I wink, did. wink. I did. I did. I went up to Seattle, Washington. Why'd you go to Seattle? I man? went up to to. to <laughs> Let's not be so transparent in our prompting, Eric. <laughs> We're gonna do fifties talk show. <laughs> so, Anne, why'd you go to Seattle? I went at the invitation of Matthew Wilder, this composer who has written the most beautiful music for a musical of Cry to Heaven, which mm. is my third novel. Right. And Matthew wrote this music uh, really a, quite a long time ago, and, and I've, I've been listening to recordings of it for years. But right now, what he's doing is developing the musical with the Fifth Avenue Theater in, in Seattle. And they have the entire first act sort of worked out in terms of the lyrics, the story, and so forth. So they invited us up, invited me up, to to hear the first the first act, the sing through, as they call it, or okay, the read through. Okay, so it wasn't staged. No. it was just sort of like a read through. No, what, except singing. Yeah, well, what they do. Let me explain for people who've never, you know, seen this. Um, me. There are professional people hired to sing and speak all the parts, and they are. In front of you, and, and they have their music stands and their microphones. Uh -huh. mm. And basically, they sit up or stand up at the right time, and they address one another and say the lines, and they sing the songs. And they go right through the first act. They also had a narrator who would who would tell us each scene change. Like, now we're in the Piazza San Marco, or now uh -huh. we're in the Palazzo Tresky, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it, it really was very, very moving, because you do see a coherent, complete half of a musical, really. Mm. And for me, it was... Very, very thrilling because I love Matthew Wilder's music. I always have. And he'd written a whole lot of new songs for the musical. Well, that's and they exciting. were as thrilling as the older songs. So new it was songs wonderful. that you had not heard until it, right. you saw the performance. The, exactly. Talk not about only... uh, Matthew Wilder for people who may not know. He wrote a very famous pop song that, that um, Nobody's Gonna Get Me Down, I believe it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he wrote Mulan, the Disney film, which was also a musical. Oh, right, yes, exactly. And, and I've really known Matthew for years because of Cry to Heaven. He, he, mm -hmm. We wanted to do a musical of it. And years ago, we were sort of in business with Robert Stigwood to do it, which was a sort of interesting oh, wow. adventure with a lot of really very interesting phone calls from England from Robert Stigwood. <laughs> uh -huh. But somehow, other, as so often happens, that didn't come to fruition. It right. didn't get done, and but I, Matthew has hung in there, and of course he did a musical in the meantime called Princesses, which did very well in Seattle, and um, I don't know whether Princesses will yet go to Broadway or not. I'm I'm not sure. Right. But um, so anyway, what's Matthew what's has next for the well, he's stuck with Cry to Heaven, and they're developing at the at the Fifth Avenue Theater uh -huh. under a program there that's run by David Armstrong, a, a wonderful creative person connected with the theater, and it will open eventually in Seattle. That's the plan. I guess we'll be invited so a back when they fully staged, yes, fully realized. Yes. Oh, that's this, wonderful. This was the like I said, the sing through of the first act, but when they have the whole thing all together, we'll go up again. There'll be a sing through, and then they'll go into casting and developing this. How exciting. And it is. It's very exciting because you get to see, you, you get to, well, for me it was exciting because I wrote Cry to Heaven in 1980. Sure. Mm. And so, and I still remember writing it and remember how weird it was and strange. It's set in the 18th century. It's about the castrati opera singers right. of that period. And it's a very strange book and a strange musical, but, I mean, a musical, well, it's not a musical yet. I mean, it's a strange <laughs> book and a strange world that they live in. And um, as I sat there in this rehearsal room under the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle in this strange basement area, 
um, with about 50 other people, maybe 60 other people, I really was moved to tears by hearing moments from the book mm. come to life as songs. It mm-hmm. was it was it was a, w- a wonderful experience. But you felt strongly enough to write a whole book about it, so I would see think that it would touch you very deeply. Well, it did. It did. And Matthew's music is positively gorgeous. I I don't know how to. I wish I had. Did they find an astonishing counter tenor to do the? To... No, no, they really need a soprano to do a castrato. Yeah. And they had a wonderful soprano. Oh, okay. They had a tenor who sang the songs that Tonio sang that weren't opera. Right. And then they had the soprano step in and sing the song when he sings with his full operatic boy voice. You right. Know? And it was quite effective. And it'll be very effective on the stage, I think. Excellent. When they do it that way. A counter tenor is not really what. Not far enough. Castrati sounded like. They really were Sopranos. Okay, then. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think we have a quick word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be back for the rest of the show with Anne Rice talking about Cry to Heaven, but also talking about Hollywood prospects and a lot of the questions you've been getting about the Vampire Chronicles and whether or not there's going to be another movie of those sometime soon. And we have a mountain of questions from the people of the page. We have one person of the page, Henry Valdez, who's chiming in and saying a big hello to Anne from the peeps of the page. <laughs> we'll be back Thank with you. Anne, Henry, Thank you, and Henry. Derek, and everyone else in just a few minutes. Have you had enough of the fight? Are you just tired of trying to explain to everyone why only people like you deserve equal rights? These days, feelings like these are common among the many Americans who invested their careers and their hard-earned money in the fight against gay marriage. And with the Supreme Court looking poised to strike down the Defense of Marriage Act this June, many of gay marriage's most strident opponents are looking for work. That's where we come in. At History Writers, we do our best to offer professional guidance to those whose career bigotry has brought them headfirst into the brick wall of progress. I'm Tony Perkins, and now that it looks like gay marriage may become the law of the land in the next year or two, I've been forced out of the American Family Association. But thanks to the folks at History Writers, I've been set free. Free to dance! They found me a job as the director of entertainment at Slippery Secrets, a bar I no longer have to speed past in sweaty-palmed fear now that my chances of forcing the entire country to justify my self-loathing have been shot to pieces by the courts. I'm Brian Brown, and with the National Organization for Marriage Fast becoming just one big fat excuse to cover Maggie Gallagher's enormous grocery bills, I decided I just didn't want to be the sweaty guy in the corner yelling at women about their wombs. I mean, abortion is kind of old hat, know what I mean? Thanks to a grant from History Writers, I was able to open the Museum of Misunderstood Slave Owners in Decatur, Georgia. History Writers was also able to get me a good insurance policy even after we were burned to the ground three times. Times in a row. You never know what the future will bring. So, you can never know whether you'll end up on the right side of history or not. That's why you should hedge your bets with History Writers. History Writers is there when your professional prejudice fails to give you the retirement fund you deserve. Call us now. Operators are standing by and there's just about nothing you can say that will offend them. Because we get it. I mean, we didn't think there would be this many Latinos in America by now either. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn. And Anne Rice. And Anne Rice. Hmm. Do you and know the, the, the we, millions and millions of listeners that she brings with her? We have mountains sure. of questions. We mountains. Have, we had to break out pythons and <laughs> nylon You're always using and, words I don't know the meaning of. What is a python? It's one of those little 
things that they use. It's a mountain climbing I'm implement. I'm so exci- excited that you know all about mountain climbing. I Man just like words. I years. like words. <laughs> I think that one of the, my favorite things about English is that there is a name for everything. And you use it at I some like point. I like knowing the names for as much stuff as I can know the names of. When so Eric and I had first become friends, he said, I'll be happy to go to lunch with you, but we'll have to stop at the cobbler on the way home. And I went, the what? <laughs> Where are we going to lunch? A medieval village in France? Was this, I had to take my shoes in. Bell and Gaston? That's who, that's who repairs your shoes, is the cobbler. cobbler. All right, okay. enough of our shtick. They're all listening tonight to hear Right, nobody gives a shit about Breaking me. news from Anne Rice. We already have people saying, are worrying that you have bad news. I do have, I do okay. have bad news. I, I have bad news. Okay. <laughs> After five years, uh, there is no new Vampire Chronicles movie. There is no new Lestat movie in development. It is not happening. Mm-hmm. And that is bad news. And it's, it's I, I feel terrible about it. I mean, we've worked really hard for maybe eight years to mm-hmm. try to get something going, to try to get a movie of Tale of the Body Thief going, or, or just to get the Vampire Chronicles up and, and back in, in, into film in some form. And uh, unfortunately, we've been undone again. And it, it's not because people didn't try. I mean, we had excellent agents who tried. We have an excellent lawyer who tried. And we had all kinds of people who were interested, but they just couldn't work out certain difficulties. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want people to know how much we want it to happen. Right. At, at one point, um, when the development was stalled, Christopher and I uh, wrote a script for The Tale mm-hmm. of the Body Thief. We didn't ask anybody to pay us. We didn't make it part of the development deal. We just wrote the script on our own. And actually, the truth is, Christopher wrote the script on his own. <laughs> <laughs> but they wanted me to put and my name paid on him it. For it. <laughs> they wanted me to put my name on it because they didn't think that anybody would take the script right. seriously if it just said Christopher Rice. It had to say Anne Rice and Christopher Rice. Well, and you did consult on it. I certainly did. I was a big producer. I put on my producer but, hat and. and, and Here's why you needed to be a big producer, because what we were doing and what the other parties involved wanted out of us was not necessarily a a literal blow-by-blow adaptation of The Tale of the Body Thief, but they wanted us to use that story to relaunch Lestat for movie audiences. So there was a lot of creative choices about what to include about the ancient ones and and how to make this story play out while also refreshing all this information for people. But the important news is everybody who read it loved it. Everybody loved that script. That script. script was not the problem. In fact, the script did more to encourage people right. to want to do this it, than anything else. Absolutely. Right. When, when we turned in the script, and Christopher did write every word of the script. I mean, I consulted on the phone ad nauseum, you know, but know. and and read and made suggestions and read and was ready to pick up a pen, you know, if, mm. if he wanted me to or if I felt I should. Never had to do it. He, he aced it. You were he afraid really I was going to make all your characters gay football players. <laughs> there was, there was real, that there concern. Was we did talk about <laughs> yeah, that at Christmas. Did. Who fall in love with the tall blonde boy. But anyway, go ahead. Okay, well, anyway, everybody did love the script. The agents loved it. The producers loved it. All kinds of people loved it. Studio people loved it. Everybody loved the script. Everybody went into high gear. And then basically the whole thing fell apart because of difficulties beyond our control. Studios but, not being comfortable with other studios' it, demands and, and so forth. Let's be clear, and we don't want to get too specific about no, this for legal don't. reasons, but it did not stall out because of a creative reason. No, it, it did, did not. not stall out for Which that reason. Which is why I wanted to make it the point about the issues. script. It wasn't that you wrote a script no, that nobody it, liked. Everybody, everybody loved the script. Everybody wanted to do it. Creatively, it was a go. Everybody wanted There were just difficulties that we couldn't work out. And we may someday be able to work these out. It's because not hopeless. Because you will. It, we will. Yeah. And the 
script that that we wrote <laughs> is not owned by anyone currently. No, it's owned by it's us. It's still our property. It's our property, and, and something I've could taken, happen with it. You it, know, absolutely. And uh, there are a lot of people who want this to happen. There are. And and. People come on the Facebook page all the time. You know, I'm very active on my page. I'm on my page. I've heard four that. Five I've heard. On the national news on a regular basis. <laughs> and um, people come on all the time and say, "Why don't you want to make a movie with Lestat?" Right? I am dying to make a movie with Lestat. I, not only am I dying, but a whole bunch of other people are dying to do it. Really wonderful people. I who kind of can't do it. believe we, it hasn't happened. Well, it's it's complicated. It's complicated. You know, the business changes all the time. It's more complicated than it was in 1994 when they made Interview with the Vampire. I wish I could say more about it. It's it's just, I, I guess what I want to tell my readers is we're working on it. We haven't given up. It may happen. It may not happen with Tale of the Body Thief. It may happen with something else. I, I don't know, some other book. But it, someday this this will happen. I, something uh, will happen. Yes, something will happen. I have to admit, you you literally ushered in the era of the vampire that we are currently living in Thank with you, all of these books. You you recreated, reimagined, and recreated the entire vampire oeuvre with all of the chronicles, and I think that that alone should be the reason that this should be being realized as film. Well, we, we certainly want it to happen. I mean, well, uh, you know, there are millions there, of other people who And do a lot too. of people on the Facebook page want it to happen too. John Michael Riggs says a possible Vampire Chronicles miniseries, question mark. Uh, Raymond Whelan says this is terrible news and it boggles my mind the volume of fans on your Facebook page alone. Wouldn't that alone secure a cost-effective you choice? You would think, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not even really a financial problem. It's, 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 it's other things. I wish I could be more specific. Specific. It's studios being uncomfortable with other studios and, and yeah, it's, different it's, studios it's being legal. involved with it's this. Legal. And it's yeah. and it's not hopeless. It's, it's not hopeless. Yeah. It's not entirely clear. No. I mean, it may be resolved. It probably at some point will be resolved. There, it some people will. have not given up. But I, I just want the readers to know. I was so excited when we did have an option. You know, mm -hmm. on Tale of the Body Thief, and we thought we were really moving forward. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people had good intentions there and tried very much to make it work. It just didn't work out. It didn't work yeah. out. You can't, yeah. you can't get too far with a big picture, and this, this would be a big picture, yeah. unless you have mm -hmm. a, a lot of financial backing from studios and distributors yeah. and so forth. And uh, again, it wasn't financial. It wasn't like I was demanding the sun and the moon or some actor was demanding. No, you that know, it was nothing it. like that. that wasn't and it. we wrote the script for free. The script we that, did. We wrote we the did. script that you wrote for free. <laughs> we did. And we retain ownership of it currently. Yes, we do. Until and, something changes. Uh, but it was a very big movie that we wrote. It was what movie. they like to call now a four quadrant action film. It would do, appeal do to I every segment uh, of the an audience. an Asian friend of ours' voice there. <laughs> <laughs> this is a four quadrant action film. But yeah, it was. It was. It had huge set pieces. And action sequences, and, yet, and, the, and, and, the, and you got Lestat, you got his personality, and that's did. what and we also any got, movie has, um, to, has the, to get. The abilities of the ancient vampires included uh -huh. in the story, the, the extent of their supernatural yeah. ability that not only can they fly, but they can yes. manipulate large physical objects. We had Marius doing things yes, like that. Yes, we had Marius much yeah. more in the tale of the body thief than he was in the book. He was yes. not really in the book, but he wasn't, we, no. we had him in the script, and I was really happy with the way you handled it. Absolutely. But I hope we've answered that question about. Listen, well, I think I, it's an important thing to say. Is 
Eric pointed out earlier, is that you're not the one stopping no, these the movies one. from being made. And there is a perception out there. What was the example you were using on the phone with me the other day is that an actor becomes a big success that they win an Oscar and then they never work again and everybody assumes it's them. It's the actor did it. And that's it's really not, not the truth. Yeah. It is the agents or their representation or producers or whatever. But people are not... Being an artist in in a in a corporate culture is a very right. challenging job because it you have really to is. try and fit into a business machine that is more that's more involved in making a profit than it is in creating art. Absolutely. Well, we're going to shift now very briefly from the world of Hollywood to the world of Poison Creek. We have a report from Miss Jonelle Sams, our relationship expert, and then we will be back with Anne Rice for the remainder of the dinner party show and our lives. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sams. Hi, this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. As you may know, the first of the month, this past Monday, was my wedding anniversary. As I always say, my husband Merle and I have been together for 23 blissful years. People often say to me, Jonelle, you always say you've been married for 23 blissful years, but aren't you overstating it a bit? Blissful? All 23 years? Every day? Well, sir, I've been giving it some thought. My instinct is to say, yes, every day. But what with being on the dinner party show with my new weekly homemade relationship advice column, I've said it's been 23 blissful years a lot more often lately. It seems to me that if I'm given advice, it's important that I can be trusted. So I want to be sure that I'm not telling a fib. So I have racked my brain this week to see if I could remember any fight that Merle and me ever had. Of course, we've disagreed about this and that over the years. He prefers a noble fir Christmas tree, and I prefer one that I can fold up and put back in the box when the holiday is over. We compromised, and he does the tree, including sweeping up all those needles, and I'm in charge of the outdoor lighting. Merle likes collecting fragile little toothpicky antique furniture, and I prefer more durable, modern sets you can order all at once. I picked out the sturdy Mediterranean sets we have here at the house, and Merle and his best friend, Olson Lee Pugh, collect and refinish all their antiques and keep them over at Olson's. Olson is still unmarried, and so there's no children or heavy traffic over there. Mostly, it's just the two of them, so they can fill that house to the rafters with furniture that's mostly just for show. It's not very practical, but you know how men are. I have my church activities, my circle meeting, my ladies' auxiliary, and my volunteer work, but mostly, I'm a homebody. Merle likes to get out and kick up his heels, literally, what with all the musical theater and just general man stuff, antiquing, collector's conventions, theater junkets. He doesn't drag me along, and I don't nag him to stay home. And it's 23 years later, and I'm still trying to think of a fight we've had. A happy marriage is all about compromise, and there is no marriage more compromised than mine. We've learned that you don't have to agree on every little thing or even have much in common to get along over the years. So to my darling husband Merle, who is out of town on one of his long theater weekends in New York City with his partner in crime, Olson, I hope you're listening, Mr. Sams, so I can wish you a happy 23rd anniversary. I'm looking forward to 23 blissful more years and 23 more after that. The more we go our own way, the better this marriage of ours gets. Thank you for being my husband. 
To the rest of you, I offer this little bit of advice. Remember, marriage is not about getting what you want. It's about wanting what you get. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. The best marriages are the ones that don't take up all your time.
Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The dish is served. And now, in keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to celebrating absolutely everything about the human body that doesn't make a disgusting sound, we bring you our fitness expert, Jason Bitters, heterosexual physical trainer. What's up, everybody? This is Jason Bitters, dedicated to helping you maximize your fitness potential as soon as you stop asking me my opinion of your grinder photo. This week, we're going to talk about getting results. Or, more specifically, we're going to have a really long talk about how you're not getting the results you want during the session where you could be getting actual results if you stopped talking and decided to actually work out. But no. First, we need to go over to a bench right by the entrance to the gym where everyone can see us sitting together as they walk in, and you'll lean in real close so it'll look like we're discussing something really intimate when really, you're just telling me again how you've never been able to keep your hand off a basket of rolls. But later, when your friends ask what we were talking about outside the gym, you'll just half smile and sort of roll your eyes and shake your head like it was all something serious, like me confessing feelings for another guy, even though I don't have feelings for other guys. I, I mean, I have feelings for other guys, but you know, not like the kind of feelings you have to go to the drugstore for in the middle of the night. But anyway, you know what I mean. Anyway, so back to getting results. We're just going to sit here for half the session and you're going to start to get all emotional and excuse I'm just... me excuse me jason hi this is eric I, i'm one of the co-hosts of the show yeah yeah hi listen so you've come on the show now this is what your third time uh, uh yeah and what's the name of the gym where you work um but brothers ah, i see and that's in west hollywood right yeah so just going out on a limb here but most of the clients at Butt Brothers in West Hollywood are gay, right? Uh-huh. I see. So, just curious now, did you choose to work there, or were you forced to work there as part of some prison release program? Um, I chose to. Interesting. Well, I hope this isn't too intrusive, but I listened to your last two segments on our show, and I have to say it sounds like you're just miserable at Butt Brothers. So, I did a little research, and I made a few calls, and it looks like your old gem in Silmar would be um, thrilled to have you back. Uh, that's not gonna work. Oh, really? And why is that? I, I didn't do as well there, and I couldn't afford the payments on my truck, and, and most of the clients were like, you know, it was just a different environment, and I didn't, I didn't really thrive. I see. So what you're saying is your old gym wasn't packed with gay men who were more than happy to pay you almost $100 per session just to ask you your opinion of their grinder photo and otherwise enjoy the pleasure of your delightful company. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I would describe it that way. I mean, a lot of them were straight, but they were women and they were married. In so other I... words, they actually expected results. Um... So here's the deal, Mr. Bitters. The next time you come on our show, I'd like you to actually talk about fitness. In other words, either stop bitching about how much money you're making off the gay community or move back to Silmar so you can once again experience what it's like to actually train clients. Uh, okay, uh, I'll get to work on, on one of those things. Yeah, here's hoping next time we see some results.
You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Dish, brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. (sighs) That's okay. Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been anyplace nice in years. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. It's not you, Mom. That joke is not thank about you. you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad. Somebody else's We're mom. Yes. Somebody else's mom. We're back at the yes. dinner party show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaquin and Ann Rice. And the most important people on the dinner party show, you. You, our listeners who are interacting with us live on Facebook. We have so very many questions from all of you to ask Mom tonight. We have a good bit of show left, but I'm not sure we're going to get through every question that we have. <laughs> Which is excellent. But we're going to start with Nicole Farrell. Who says, or who writes, I should say, with all of the successful short series of late, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Vikings, Bates Motel, have you ever thought of developing the witching hour in this format? The Mayfair genealogy seems a perfect fit as each season could take us through a generation. I've also thought that writing it from the perspective of Julian would be crazy interesting. I think that would be crazy interesting too, Nicole. Here's hoping the future series finds a production and writing team as wonderful as Bates Motel. Well, actually, we have worked very hard at times to see it become what's called a limited series or Mm. or a special short series. And NBC actually optioned it several years back, and we developed um, 12 episodes and had the script done. And it was done by a brilliant scriptwriter, John Wilder. Who, who I love very much. John Wilder did, this, did the script for the miniseries of Feast of All Saints, which was my second book uh-huh. that I ever published. And that was done with Showtime. But anyway, John did this with The Witching Hour, and, and we were in very excited talks with NBC about it and worked on it for quite a while. And then, like so many projects, it simply fell through. NBC changed leadership there. Mm. A new person came in. The new person really didn't know the book or any of the material, really, and... And was, it wasn't was theirs. not enthusiastic about <clears throat> anything that pertained to a big house or a large family. And that pretty much <laughs> took care of the wishing <laughs> hour. Yeah, that would so pretty wrap, much his, wrap it up. His suggestions that we take out the house in the big family kind of didn't, wow. didn't leave it's us like very the, much to work with. It's a great story, but does she have to die at the end? <laughs> oh, the, my God. The, the Jessica, Jessica Savage, Savage thing, story, yeah. yeah. But God, in, in any event, it, it fell through. And <clears throat> we've been trying ever since to get the witching hour either to become a movie or a TV series. And right now there's a very brilliant producer trying to mount it. That's Uh James Dunn, the creator of... of James James Duff. Duff, Excuse me, James. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. James Duff. He was hoping he's listening. (laughs) He was. He's the creator of The Closer and Major Crimes, which are two absolutely wonderful TV shows. I mean, The the Closer was really, really groundbreaking and and made all of television, the IQ of all of television rise about 10 points. And lots of big houses. Yeah, there were lots of big houses, but they were L.A. houses. They were glass walls and minimalist chic. (laughs) Well, anyway, James Duff is working on it, and I hope maybe we'll have something happening there. Again, you know, I get all these questions on the page about wouldn't I like to, why don't I do this as an HBO series, or why don't I do this book as a Showtime series? I would love to do all of them. 
with the best people available, and we're working on it all the time. You know, we're n- I'm not the problem. It's really that you have to have bankable producers take these projects to people who can do them, like HBO, and you have to get enthusiasm from the entity. And, you know, just for the record, HBO has not been enthusiastic about my work when it's been offered to them. That's right. And it's, yeah. not, it's not anything personal. You know, they have, everybody wants to work with HBO. Everybody edgy and complex wants to work with HBO right Ab- now. Any author yeah. on the planet who doesn't want right. to work with HBO must be dead. But this is a new thing, too, or and relatively new. You know, relatively new, the the cable uh, uh, platform as an outlet for great novel adaptations. Yeah. Like, they weren't doing things like Game of Thrones a few years ago. That's Nobody right, had they seen weren't. that, done that level of commitment to a long-form yeah. series like that. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's all very new, and I think they're still sorting through the piles of material they have, but yeah. hopefully we'll get you to the top. Okay, we've gone long enough without talking about me. John Matson would like to know, what was the best <laughs> practical joke I pulled on you over the years, and did you get revenge? Well, Christopher, I, can I can't this. think of any practical oh, joke. I, <laughs> I got you on April Fool's so good this oh, what? year. Oh, I said are you, you going to tell people what I'm you did to your mother? I'm going to tell people what I did. I got, I got you okay, so I, good. I will not say I a sent word. you a long email saying that I had been offered a contract by a company called Men.com to do several scenes for them for four hundred thousand dollars. Know what kind of a and, child and would do this? And what did you think? And I did. And I told you that this is a pornographic was a website. Porn website. Was it ever? And, and I included a link to the yes. website in the email. Oh, you that's you can really? Oh, I <laughs> didn't know you did sent that. Sent your mother yes. a link to a porn site. Yes, I did. That's what you did. And I your did. mother wrote you a sensitive and well thought out response. Absolutely, she, trying to be line. supportive while getting you to consider because all what of your I. Options. Wait, what I added to the email was that if we do this, it will be under my real name because they want to market the fact that I'm your son and it will be part of their publicity for the scene. And she was still nice about it. And she did. She wrote the most sensitive response and you said there was a time when porn was political, but it may today just be about genitalia. And you may want to be really clear why you're doing this. And I couldn't believe, I just thought, LOL, you know, some yeah. like short email back, but uh, yeah. I got you good. You have not gotten revenge yet and no, I am I dreading the but, moment uh, day is coming. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. It'll You're be planning. unexpected. Yeah, that's how revenge works. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you were really quite the stinker on April Fool's. This I got everyone good. He texted me at 12:01, <laughs> so I didn't even have time to consider that, that it was, was that it was April Fool's Day. I was like half in the bag in my pajamas, yeah. and it was it was like the day after the show, right? And it was we like had just done the, the studio show last is, week. They just called, and the studio is flooding, and we have to go get the electronic equipment. And I was like dressed before he and called on no, the phone. I, and I get the response back, I'll meet you there. And I went, oh my God. I, it was the same response. I what can't did, believe I got him. him? I said you? a pipe exploded in the studio oh. above, our, the office above ours and we have to get over there and move everything out of the studio immediately. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the building managers called me and he said, I'll meet you there. And then I was like, oh shit. I was dressed. And I called him and he was like, he answered on speakerphone, which meant he was in the middle of doing something like getting dressed. Yeah. And I said, uh, April Fool's. <laughs> <laughs> and then I killed him. Yes. And then we hired an actor to come in and yes. impersonate him on the show yes. because Absolutely. I killed him. I yes. am a robot. I think we'll do no. one more question and then we'll go to a word from one of our sponsors. Greg Wilkie, indie author, author of the Mortimer Drake series, says, I know that you support independently published authors, but I am curious to know if you ever get any negative feedback from your publishers for supporting unknown writers. I ask this because so many well-known published authors rarely come out in support of indie authors, and I am most certainly glad that you are not like that. Well, actually, I never have gotten any negative feedback. And I've always been a person who supported authors. Um, 
And I love supporting indie authors. I love supporting Greg in particular because the Mortimer Drake series is is a real page-turning, wonderful, fun series about teenage vampire Mortimer Drake. And it's read in my house by several people, and they love it. And uh, it's been a lot of fun supporting Greg. But no, the publishers never object. They, they really don't. I, I think we forget that every editor and every agent has clients that are big and small. And they right. like it when the larger clients are, are supportive of the small our clients they appreciate that they, they wish that. that more of the world was supportive of the smaller clients and so i don't think they would ever criticize me for supporting indie authors if anything um they find that interesting well the attitude towards <clears throat> indie authors has changed it's now oh, yeah. like the audition process for the major publishers that's, that's true. what's happening yeah yeah that's i true. think that's that's true and i i think that Publishers are, as with all businesses, motivated by profits, so they look at where their biggest profits come from. That has to be their motivating force. But I, I, I have never really encountered a sense of like a discouragement or a, a desire to 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 quash new or untried authors. Mm-hmm. There was Absolutely. a time, though, when publishers were very hostile to anybody who published on their own. Really? If, if I remember years ago, maybe like 30 years ago, an independent author took out an ad in the New York Times for his book, and the publishers actually complained to the New York Times, this really? space belongs to us. Wow. We don't wow. give it to people who publish on their own. Wow. Now, this is what I heard uh, on Good Authority yeah. at that time. I mean, so you didn't see ads in those days in major papers for indie authors. Well, there I know was there, pressure there, not to, there was an but old everything's changed stigma. now. Everything, everything has changed. Is there was changed. a stigma attached to it for a still, while, but not anymore. There were some stories of people like uh, Elon Harris sold his books independently out of the trunk of his car at beauty parlors in Atlanta, and he went on to get major publishing deals. A writer yeah. we know named M.J. Rose uh, self-published and then yeah. got a major publishing deal. So there were stories, well, but it's just Tom, not as frequent as now. Even and, Tom Clancy, really, published with a small military yeah. uh, you know, publisher. It was, it was not maybe indie publishing, but practically. Absolutely. And then he got swept up. And became Tom Clancy. Well, we've got a word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Anne Rice for the rest of the dinner party show. We also have a report coming up from Jordan Ampersand, who attended the white party in Palm Springs last oh, week. Excellent. He's here. He Anne's spoke to Eric uh, earlier in the week. But for now, a <laughs> brief favorite. word from one of our sponsors, and then we're back with Anne Rice. Are you tired of all those fancy frou-frou candles that make your home smell like some weird place that Europeans might visit? Tired of scented candles with hard-to-pronounce names and flowers you've never heard of as their base fragrance? Well, the folks at Arresting Home Aromatics have finally come up with a solution for you, their new Heartland Candles line. Cheryl and I had some friends over the other night for BBQ, and, well, we'd forgotten to prepare anything for a side dish, so we lit one of them Frito pie candles, and it was just like everyone had had a side dish after all. I'm not much for strong perfumes, but I do love to garden, and that's why my favorite of the Heartland candles is Rake. It smells just like grass, the legal kind, not the smoking and making you walk out on your kids' kind. Subtle, unassuming, of the home, not French. These are just a few of the superlatives customers have piled on our Heartland candles. Some of our intoxicating scents include Ego Breakfast, New Baby Smell, Double Wide Breeze, Strawberry Daiquiri with Mint, Chimney, Downtown Atlanta, Black Lady, Motorcycle, Sarah Palin, and Tanqueray. We invite you to go home again without ever leaving your home to begin with. 
whether or not you aim to stoke the flames of a romantic evening with our fancy coconut sunscreen tea candles or just cover up the smell of a dead rat in your wall with one of our industrial strength propane springs pillars, light a Heartland candle tonight and let the smells of your life light up everyone else's. And... And we're back on the dinner party show, which is sort of a misnomer because we've never stopped talking. We just went into a yeah, break. Yeah, the show just continues. It just, you just hear little snippets of it as the correspondents come and go. on and on and, and on. And our sponsors, Heartland, uh, one of our fav- faithful, favorite absolutely. sponsors. People love those Heartland candles. I've got a Frito pie candle at my house. There are a lot of dead rats out there. We have a lot of <laughs> questions for our guest, Ann Rice. Samiko Salson wants to know... Or I should say she writes, The Talamasca have made appearances not only in the Vampire Chronicles, but also in other places, such as in the Mayfair Witch stories. Do they know about the Morphin Kinder, and can we expect them to show up in the Wolves of Midwinter? Huh. Well, <clears throat> they don't show up in the Wolves of Midwinter, which, which is out is this October, right? October 15th. It's October. a sequel to The Wolf Gift. And they don't show up there, but you will hear a lot more about the Talamasca. In the coming years, a lot more about who their mysterious elders are, who founded mm. them, and why, what their agenda I really love is, the and Such so a forth great and so on. I am my brain is teeming with Talamasca messages from the beyond, and I will get to that. But I can't say in what book and how. And I think eventually they will catch up with the Morphin Kenda. Mm. Uh, I think they will because they have a way of going into various they keep up areas. With all of those kinds yes, of they, things. Yes, their That's motto their... is we watch and we are always here and of course they would know about the Morphin Kinda and they would be watching them mm-hmm. and I meant to get them in there but you know it's it's like when I write it's like everything but the kitchen sink goes into the novel and then <laughs> I wake up in the night and think oh my god I forgot to have the Telemasca guy creeping outside of Nideck Point damn. You know? Well you know there is a new version of the Kindle where you can put a kitchen sink in a novel it's really great Anyway, <laughs> I'll be here all week try the shrimp uh, Justin Simpson has a question for you mom he, she's, he would like to know have you ever written one of your books in long Hand, and if so, where was the most unusual place you sat down to write it? Actually, I have taken notes for books, right? And and written a lot of stuff in my notebooks and so forth in in cafes around the world, around the <laughs> in world. hotel rooms around the world. But no, when I sit down to write it, I write it on a keyboard, the fastest keyboard I can find. And then it goes into a computer. Define what you mean by the fastest keyboard you can find. You have to chase it around the house. <laughs> I, the I quick s- running keyboard. I have to have a big noise. You will not write this book on me. Very fast keyboard because I learned to type on electric typewriters and right. I'm a champion QWERTY typist. You really do fly. And I have to have a big, sturdy, wonderful keyboard. I can't have one of these little sissy, you know, <laughs> Apple keyboards. Like I like. That you just put your little fingers on and tap, you know, all this stuff made for men. I hark back to that time when women did the typing. Have you seen and the we ones were that ferocious. are like light? It's really just, it projects know, the keyboard onto the table. You heard it here, folks. Anne Rice has just said women are better typists than men. Let the controversy on Facebook begin. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I know, that. you didn't, I didn't mean that. Mean that but, I'm totally kidding. But to get back to that. Well, that won't I, stop I, the controversy. <laughs> just because you didn't mean it doesn't mean there won't be controversy. <laughs> To get back to that, (laughs) (laughs) I did take a lot of notes for the novel Violin in my hotel room in the Copacabana Hotel on Copacabana Beach uh, in Rio de Janeiro. And I took a lot of notes for Feast of All Saints in the cafe in Paris uh, Mm. on the West Bank or Left Bank. 
West Bank? I don't, I don't know. know. But anyway, Left Bank. West Bank was yeah. in New Orleans, though. Left Bank. West yes, Bank Paris. was the other side of the Mississippi. So those are about the most interesting places. Didn't they name a hotel room after you at the Riverside Inn because you, oh, yeah. you okay. wrote the wolf Absolutely. gift there? No, uh, no, it was Angel Time. It was Angel Time, right. I, yes. I dreamed up a lot of Angel Time in that hotel room, and they did change the suite to the Anne Rice Suite. Absolutely. And, I'm, and I will be back there for the third third Angel Time novel with oh. Toby O'Dare when I get it done. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, Rand Valerhorn, excuse me, Rand Valerhorn, whose name I always mispronounce and who does amazing Photoshop art, including an image for the really? Kittner, which was from our sketch World Wars pitch art, meeting. He period. wants to know if you write your books in chronological order. Actually, I do. I mm-hmm. start at the beginning and move through to the end, but... Uh, I do, I'm sure what a lot of people do is I flash back over the material over and over again, changing it to keep up with the, you know, the frontline movement of the novel. Right. But I, I write with only one draft. And when I'm, I, I go from beginning to end chronologically right through that book, I've never been able to do it any other way. I have to sort of feel it and feel my way through it. Mm-hmm. And I do go back and forth. And sometimes at the very end, I will go back and write some more material, say, for the beginning. But usually it's like a poem or an introduction at the very beginning or, or something set apart from the narrative. But I love to do it all the way through, to, li- to live it just as if I were reading it, actually, or watching a film. Mm-hmm. Another great question. This one is from Jessica Carroll. She says, so many contemporary vampire authors have credited you as having a huge influence on their writing. I would love to know which author, book, or series captured your imagination or attention, and if you have any interest or intentions in reading contemporary authors currently. I don't read a lot of them. I I do so much research and read so much nonfiction that I can barely keep up with the fiction that's put out by uh, my relatives and friends. You know, and, and I'm very bad at keeping up you with You haven't it. read a thing I've written. I, I have. Said, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm totally bullshitting. I have. But, um, and when I do dip into fiction, it's usually to get distracted, to be taken away. And the fiction writers I really love are Preston and Child, who do the Pendergast system, uh, <clears throat> the Pendergast series right. of, of novels. Um, I love those, Relic and Reliquary and other novels in that series. And I just read Lee Child's um, oh, yeah? Jack, what did you think? Jack Reacher novel, Persuasion and uh, Persuader. Persuader. I'm getting everything Persuasion is a Jane Austen novel, but they're just they're exactly the same. <laughs> so similar. They're actually doing a mashup of Lee Child and Jane Austen as we speak. <laughs> because why not? Yeah. I, I totally loved it. But uh, I don't get to contemporary vampire fiction. I really don't, except for Charlene Harris. I do love picking up her Suki Stackhouse novels and dipping into them. I think right. Suki is a kick. I think Charlene is a kick. I think she's terrifically imaginative. And I do love True Blood on HBO. I'm a fan. That's based so on Charlene's fun. books. And, so much fun. But I don't really get to read anybody. I, I, I want to read Mortimer Drake right now, and I just can't get to Well, you can't read them right now. You're on the dinner party I know, show. but what I mean is I, I would love to go home and just, you know, read those novels by Greg Wilkie, but I just don't I just don't seem to get to it. I'm, I'm always swamped. I'm always behind schedule. I'm always overdue with the novel. And, uh, mm-hmm. and there's 750,000 people to talk to on Facebook. There every are. Day. That keeps and we're you getting busy. a lot of questions about that, too. Are you still feeling the Facebook thing? Do you still enjoy it? There have oh, been yeah. some controversies on the page recently people yeah. have mentioned. Do, uh, do, do, do those drive you further away from Facebook, or do they bring you further in? I had my own no, weekend with uh, it. But. Um, 
No, I, I love the page, and I go on every day, and sometimes there's just nothing to post. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'll look at the news, I'll read the New York Times, the LA Times, I'll, I'll look around, and there's just nothing to say. Yeah, Breck Artery you know? has said and that so to I, me a time I, or two, I, I like, this know. is not a big news week. I yeah, know, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But I, I really do... I do love the page, and I love the regulars on the page. There are a whole lot of people that tune in regularly, and they bring great links and stories to the page. And I learn a lot from them, and I, you know, I love I love checking in, even when I can't post. In Seattle, I had a bad Internet connection, so I did a lot of reading of their posts, but I could barely get my post to... So know. the computer capital of the world had bad Internet. <laughs> That's did. kind of it ironic. Did. It did. I, in fact, I find that in a what lot of hotels. people may not know is that before there was Facebook, you had something that you called your reader's line I in did. New Orleans, where it was a recording where you read a message for your readers yes. into it. Uh, that changed weekly, or I don't know, every few weeks. Any time I wanted. Yeah. yeah Before that, there was the, te- the was telegraph the only, key. It was the only <laughs> number that was listed. So occasionally, people would call call information looking for a number for me, a friend or whatever, or a new friend, <laughs> and they would reach this recorded yeah. message of mom just talking about whatever, and they didn't know what it was. I know. I know. That's, That's excellent. I love weird that. messages, yeah. I was yeah. ahead of my time. You really I? were ahead of your time. Yeah. You had a newsletter well, called Commotions. You've definitely taken to the social media world. It has, like no one I've ever seen, it it has become. Absolutely. But we do have big controversies on the page. And when we come back, we will talk about some of those big controversies if you want. Sure. And maybe start a few of our own. Yeah, let's talk about the Honey Boo Boo. We have a report from our own Honey Boo Boo, (laughs) Jordan Ampersand, who went to the white party in Palm Springs last weekend. Jordan Boo Boo. Here's Jordan Boo Boo. (laughs) It's a rare and special moment here on the Dinner Party Show when critic at large Jordan Ampersand actually does something we've asked him to do. Of course, it helps if the assignment is easy and involves illegal drugs. The White Party takes place every Easter weekend in Palm Springs, and this year we sent Jordan to cover this often controversial and always outrageous celebration. Hi, everyone at the Dinner Party Show. I'm coming to you poolside from the Cipro Resort in beautiful Palm Springs. If some of you are saying, you're not 80, Jordan Ampersand, what are you doing in Palm Springs and why are you admitting you're there? Well, folks, it's white party weekend. Hot young people get a weekend pass to enjoy the sunshine and fun in the land of dying has-beens. Yes, I'm sure that has-beens are just thrilled to be set upon by the never will be. Um, sorry Eric, you might not know this, but the White Party doesn't have rock bands. It has DJs. And STDs. No, he's playing the Winter Party in Miami. Anyway, there's an amazing feeling in the air here that I just can't stop getting all over myself. Well, try not to swallow. Eric, why do you have to make everything so cheap? The White Party isn't just about sex. There's a real sense of community here for hot people. Jordan, we ask you to go around and do some interviews with other attendees to get their perspectives on the party. Do you have anyone for us to talk to? Well, I was going to bring my best friend Fitzpatrick on with me, but he said a nine-foot-tall Indian woman commanded him to walk out into the desert with no water, so I'm just going to give him some space. Also, I can't find my cat. You brought your cat to the white party. She wanted to come. She told me with her mind. I I think she's going to be okay. I left her with a fire eater named Pablo who was totally hot, every pun intended. And he's been awake for two days now, so if he was going to fall asleep, it would have happened already. 
Jordan, have you actually been doing anything at the white party we can discuss on the air? Yes, I have, and you will be so proud of me because it involves doing something that's kind of smart. Let's not jump the gun here. What is it? Well, there are a lot of fun guys here who have their own podcasts, and I've been getting ideas oh from them on how you guys can make your show not so lame. <sighs> They think we should fire you? No, don't be so hostile. This weekend is about love for hot people. Anyway, earlier this morning around 3 a.m., I had a long talk with Milton and Filton. They're from Chicago, and they have their own podcast called Two Queens Screaming. It's totally great. Have a listen. Here's a clip. Jesus Christ. And if you keep listening, you'll notice that while they're both skinny and white, they spend most of their time talking like urban black women. Isn't that clever? You uh, guys should try so that original. on your show. No, we shouldn't. Look, I'm just trying to be helpful. Oh, really? And how long did you have to pretend to be interested in Milton and Milton's podcast before they gave you drugs? Pardon me. My motives were entirely pure. I was really? not after their drugs. Oh. I was after a place to sleep for the next three days, uh, okay? Thank uh -huh. you. And besides, you're the one with the bad show I'm trying to fix. And you're the one who always needs a fix. No, no, excuse me, but for me, this weekend is about accepting myself for exactly who I am after I haven't eaten for four days. Ooh, that sounds promising. But first, I need to find my cat because I think I just saw Pablo being carried out on a stretcher. Is Pablo the fire eater? Yeah, but he wasn't on fire, so I guess he's okay. He probably just needs some rest. Yes, I'm sure he's just late for a nap. That's why they're rushing him to the emergency room. Oh, I want to find my cat, but I'm so hungry. Maybe I should get some more Jesus juice from that guy with the Bentley. Also, do you think I should start a music career? Because earlier these guys heard me humming, and they told me they'd record a demo for me if I took my Speedo off and put it around Jordan, my neck. Jordan, 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 I'm not quite sure why I'm doing this, given that you've never once earned a single act of kindness from me, but... If your closest friend in the world suddenly turns to you after days of ingesting various drugs and claims that a nine-foot-tall hallucination has ordered him to walk into the Southern California desert alone and with no water, it's not time to give him space. It's time to call 911 before the coyotes and the rattlesnakes get to him first. I found her! Your hallucinating friend? Wait, wait what's wrong with her? Oh my god, I'm so pissed. Who gave my cat drugs? Everyone is raising their hands. No, this is unacceptable. Well, you know what they say. What's good for the one who likes to get goose? Shut up, this isn't funny. My cat has been given drugs. This is dangerous and illegal. Jordan, it's the white party. Everything that's happening there is dangerous and illegal. This is bullshit. Come on, Brittany Fabulous. We're out of here. Oh, shit. Crap, somebody get me a taser. No, 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 not on me. I'm not into this. Ah! Jordan? Excellent. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for dessert. Brought to you by your sister's new husband who's had way too much wine. I mean, everybody's cheated at least once, right? I, I, I mean, am I right? The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. 
Okay, so you're not the one who tased Jordan Ampersand because you were not at the, the white studio. party. I was in the studio. I could not get my mitts on him. It's not that I wouldn't like to. It's not that I don't applaud whoever <laughs> did, but I didn't do it. Do you think Justin Simpson did it? He was at the white party. Our loyal listener, Justin Simpson, who does such great artist renderings I'm of our I'm not pointing any fingers at okay. anybody else. I just want to thank whoever did. <laughs> Uh, Peter Lawrence is joining us for the first time from Buenos Aires and thanks us for being How his cool dinner guest that? tonight. How cool is Hola. that? Uh, we still have Anne Rice here in the studio. I hear she has some other things she'd like to talk about. She's reading something very intently that we've put in front of her. Our... She just had a great time listening to Jordan's live report. Oh, I love Jordan. Do I you? love Jordan, yes. I will be Jordan's personal sponsor if you want a personal sponsor. <laughs> for <Jordan>. what? <laughs> what are you going to sponsor whatever, for? Whatever segments whatever he develops for the show. He's going to make Jordan a star. <laughs> She's yes, going to make right. Jordan a star. Jordan is a star backer. in his own mind already. Yeah. Well, listen, we were going to talk about controversies like the Honey Boo Boo Company. Oh, right. Why? Of all the controversies on your page, you're going to pick Honey Boo Boo? Why do you keep going back to Honey Boo Boo? Is that a safe controversy for you? Is this a you? controversy we're Literally, having about Honey Boo Boo? When you po- this- we had five comments saying, no, please, my vampy Peterson, otherwise known as Buffy Peterson. No, oh my God, please no Honey Boo Boo. Scraps head on sidewalk, she says. No Honey Boo Boo, Michael Minch. Okay, um, I'll be brief then. Lestat is a fan of Honey Boo Boo. This is sacrilege. And he and loves I not, Honey Boo Boo. And every time I post that, cancer on my show. the page goes wild. They go wild. With people saying, that can't be. Listen, they want her, him to make her into a vampire so that she has time to better herself and grow as an individual. I, I love Honey Or so we can put her in a Listen, light well in Paris have you and been have her turned up, into ashes. Did you watch the uh, shows recently? No. The, the holiday no, specials? I haven't seen the So holiday. did you not see the scene where they set the Thanksgiving table with the blanket that had a dog shit oh. stain on oh, it no, and I didn't, didn't take it that. off? Do we really that was have really, to talk about that yeah, show? I, that was the moment where I thought maybe I can't go as far well, let me tell you as something. this show wants me to go. I had a really good friends in Berkeley who were extremely highly educated from and, and brilliant people and they were short of a tablecloth one time and they took the sheet off the bed that they'd slept on and put it on the table and used it as a tablecloth and after the dinner put it Jesus back on the bed. Jesus Christ. So did this people know happen. they were doing this? No, of course they didn't tell anybody. Oh and Eric is Eric is Eric. So you see, are you okay? It's not just I'm blacking the, it's out. Not just the Honey Boo Boo family. You know, there are oh, people in college towns who can do these things. Still doesn't make it okay. No, I agree. <laughs> it's still I agree. a terrible idea. I know, but I just think that the Honey Boo Boo family is a great family, and I love them. Okay, let's go on to but another the answer, controversy. The answer to the question is that you aren't deterred from Facebook by I these controversies. I am not. I am not. The trolls don't get you down. Well, no, it's not trolls. It's just people who honestly disagree, and I've always. Welcome, disagreement. What happened? Are I don't we on know. the air? Something's happening to our computers. Can everyone hear us still? <laughs> Are we still on the air, guys? Are we still on the air? Okay, we're just going to keep going. We have had a computer malfunction here in the studio, which explains that loud beeping that you're hearing in the background. Um... Right. It's like it, that's not a fire alarm. Everyone it's is not okay. not a fire alarm. We're okay. I think somebody has hacked our system because you wouldn't stop talking about oh, honey, honey boo-boo. boo-boo. That's, right? that's what yeah. happened. Just I think somebody has hacked assault. our system. Something um, terrible was that. Yeah. I love how everybody in the booth is pointing through the glass. Yeah, I think what we need to do is get in here and disconnect this thing <laughs> whatever right it now. Is. Um, Can we unplug whatever that the this is Christopher and Eric learn to do a <laughs> radio show. Learn to do a radio show, and of course, the technical malfunction comes when we have our biggest guest on. Oh, how kind of you! Yeah, it is kind of you. Make it stop. I don't care what it takes. Um, I wonder what on earth it is. 
Yeah, we're going to go to a quick sketch and try to fix this problem, and we'll be back here on the Dinner Party Show as it falls apart live on the air. (laughs) We're going to go to Best Served Warm from Teresa Sparks. Take it away. And now, in keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to community enrichment, it's time for another in our ongoing series of public service announcements featuring the people who make the Dinner Party Show what it is. Best Served Warm. Hi, I'm Teresa Sparks, and I'm a true patriot. Many of you may be familiar with my show, Crosses to Burn, on the Freedom Network. And even more of you may have read one of my controversial bestsellers that Rupert Murdoch bought every copy of and then mailed to everyone he's ever met. (laughs) Ah, liberty! Now, I'd like to talk to you Americans today about people who aren't willing to wait in line for seven hours to vote. Now, if you're out there and you're one of those lazy, unmotivated citizens who isn't willing to muster the patience needed to take part in our democratic process, what we should be talking about is how you're a drag on our nation's economy and probably no better than the men and women who had to cook and clean for me while I worked really hard to get into the same Ivy League school my father and grandfather both went to. Look, here's the deal, fellow patriots. I'm too busy making sure this country doesn't turn into a place where self-respecting pretty girls like myself, who work hard to keep a decent handle on our coke problem, aren't forced to be able to tell the difference between a Mexican and a Guatemalan. (laughs) So... Unless you people want the DMV to refuse to give you a driver's license, unless you can tell the difference between a feather Indian and a dot Indian, we need to keep our priorities in the right place. So I say get a good foot massager and some good reading material, because voting requires time, effort, and money. I'm still Teresa Sparks, no matter what the liberal media elite says about my porn past. And keep an eye out for my new book, The Rocket's White Glare. And yes, to those of you who have written me, once again, it will be double-spaced in 18-point typeface with a poll quote on each page, because I know full well that most of you are really, really dumb, and I like it that way. stresses of everyday living too much for you? Have you lost the zest and excitement for life that you once had? Do you find it hard to get out of bed in the morning, get through even the simplest tasks? Well, get in line. That's right, we're talking to you. We're sick and tired of your constant whining about every tiny thing. Frankly, we're a little amazed that you have come to believe that your life could or even should be devoid of any bad days, worry, or even a little good old-fashioned dread. If you're sick, you should be cared for. If voices are telling you that your mother has an alien living in her head and you should pour vinegar in her ear until you drown it, well, God bless and take your Thorazine. But if you just don't feel like you did when you were horny stoned and 15 years old without a care in the world, well, we think you should grow the fuck up. Who knows? Maybe there'd already be a cure for the cold and cancer if the drug companies weren't spending all their time and effort trying to insulate you from reality. So the next time you feel the urge to tell your friends, family, or anyone who'll listen about how you're not in touch with your joy... Stick your hand down the front of your pants and leave the rest of us out of it. 
We have survived the cyber attack from that- circumcised Honey Boo Boo fans. <laughs> We ha- we are still here at the dinner party show. Half of the studio is a smoking ruin, but mom looks fabulous as always. We didn't know. Thank wh- you. That was very exciting. It was very weird. We were talking before um, before that horrible noise started about controversy on your Facebook page. Yes, and you were saying that you enjoy it and that it doesn't deter I you. I wouldn't say. And I if enjoy that happens it, again, but I enjoy the page. We're going to stop talking about it. I like it. vigorous conversations. We did recently have a very unusual. Controversy. Something happened that had never happened before. Oh, yeah? I, po- I posted on female gen- genital mutilation. Yes, yes. I posted a story about it from England that was brought to the page by Andy Cummins, who mm-hmm. is a really wonderful person of the page from England. And immediately people began to appear in the thread that said that you, you could not talk about female genital mutilation unless you also talked about male circumcision. Mm. And they virtually took over the thread, finally. Mm -hmm. They co-opted it or stole it or hijacked it for male circumcision. And I kept insisting, well, wait a minute, this is two different issues. Let's not not let the little girls who were the victims of female genital mutilation, let's not push them to the back of the bus for another cause, you know, pertaining to to a a much different uh, situation type of person, everything. And um, this created more and more controversy. And it spilled over onto my page. And they, they did. They began to target the page and attack. And for the first time, I just huh. sat there banning one person after another. Mm-hmm. They were virtually saying, you cannot do this. You cannot talk about this cause unless right. you talk about our cause. And my answer to that mm-hmm. is, it's my goddamn Facebook page, and I'll talk about whatever I want, which is what I actually have said to people over the years. I'm a lot more, I use the block button more than you do, I think. I, I don't like to use it. I, I, I'm not yeah. a fan of it either, but I, I find myself using it. What happened is that somebody came on my page, uh, requested me as a friend so that they could leave a comment on the page that everyone could see, and said, I would just like to know that, he said, I'm a spiritually evolved man, and I would like to know if your mother had you mutilated. And I went, you know what, fucker? That's over the line for me. I put up with a lot of crap on Facebook and on Twitter, but that's over the line. You're trying to win an argument with my mother, an argument that I was not participating in or contributing to, by the way. If I had been heavily involved in your thread and advocating in favor of male circumcision and somebody had said to me, well, are you circumcised and is that determining your feelings on the issue? Maybe that would have been another thing. But asking me personal details about my anatomy so that you, and then I, and then it started these floodgates of bullies coming on and there were people who were making their point Mm -hmm. reasonably and without calling me names. Mm -hmm. And I wrote last night in the four or five hours I spent on this thread, which is more than I usually spend responding to this sort of behavior. I said, thank you for making your point. Uh, without resorting to name-calling or ugly tactics. But if you started lecturing me on what I was thinking or what I believed or what mm-hmm. I'm packing down there, you were banned from my page because that's bullying. Yes. You know, it's completely inappropriate mm-hmm. to go on somebody else's Facebook page and start lecturing them when you have never met the person before right. in your entire life. Right. And I, you know, every now and then I call Eric in despair over something somebody said that was <laughs> ugly on Facebook and it only lasts for about 20 minutes and I get over it. But something about this really got to me. Well, there was something off and wrong about the whole thing. Well, the it, way these people came on the page, Why not? You, piggybacking. It's fine to have your strong feelings about something, but it doesn't yes. preclude somebody else having a different conversation. I, nobody, uh, I, was, nobody. I don't nobody was dismissing their cause, it. but why yeah. on earth does that preclude other people being able to talk about yeah, something I, completely else? I mean, That's, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. I've never had anybody come on I the page I wonder what way. the source of it is. Is it an organization or something? There's or? a movement. 
this that I don't understand. There is a growing number of men who wish they had not been circumcised without their consent. It's a growing movement and a growing feeling, and there is some scientific research to suggest that there are downsides to male circumcision. There is also a lot of scientific research, which I found last night and shared with both of you, to suggest that there's not a loss of sexual feeling or sexual function right. when men are circumcised. So it's it's an, it's a muddy issue, and one of the things that kept pissing me off, and this happens all the time on social media, is people post a link to something, like they're posting a link to an article on the Wall Street Journal that proves their case, and you follow the link, and it's my friend Bob who really hates this thing. Yeah. You know, and it's like, this is not a journalistic resource <laughs> that you're sharing with the page. You or know? it's a link to a Facebook page of somebody yeah. that doesn't like the thing. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, it was, it was unique in my experience, and I did ban a lot of those people because I will not be dictated to I won't in that either. way. Yeah, I but I really that. do just respect bizarre. all opinions, and I do well, you have know, many people on the page who don't agree with me about anything. Absolutely, and, and they're they're fine, and I read their posts. And, and that's the thing—they started coming over to my page, claiming that you ban people all the time. And no, all I, I see don't. on your people on your page is people complaining about having been banned, yet they're on the page <laughs> complaining, which means they haven't been I, banned. I almost never ban people. Yeah, I no, only ban no. I ban people when they use certain words, right? Certain vulgar, hateful, ugly, scatological. Terms right, exactly. For out and out libel or slander, for for hate speech, right. I will ban them. But that's very few people. You right. know, I mean, there are people on my page all the time arguing with me. And given the number and, of people on your you page, know. that's remarkable in itself. Yeah, it is absolutely. During the election, your page got intense. Oh, you it know? did. It, yeah. it really did. And we had a lot of good conservatives on the page making good points. And we argued with them. I don't. Yeah, and I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with a strident expression of an opinion right. that's different than mine. But don't start saying I'm deficient or I'm lying. So, but that's or what's I'm, so bizarre about this one case. It's like I know. Why? it was they why weren't coming. These... They weren't arguing about what you were what no. you were talking about. They insisted that you talk about something, about something else, else, which is like not. There's nothing invalid about the other topic. It's no. just we're not talking about that right now, and mm -hmm. we're allowed to not talk about that if we don't want to. That's such a strange thing to insist on. Because they had never come to the page on their own and posted about this. Right. Never. And, I mean, and if I they had, had never seen you would have had a it's, discussion it's about it. It's only when I post about the women and, and, the, and the genital mutilation. That they come. And so I thought, well, what's behind this? I still haven't quite totally figured well, it out. Well, we have a listener, Samiko Salson, who's saying on our Facebook page currently that this was an organized effort that individuals were linking to your page and to mine to get other members of the organizations to come onto the page and participate yes. in the thread, which happens with the, the uh, fundamentalist religious organizations Sometimes, when you post yes. about religion. Yes, there are times you know. when that happens. So and I think that's even, it's even possible that people from those organizations can come on and post things that aren't awful. Hmm. But but when you come on, like literally, I, I wanted to say there's going to be a moment in your life, dude, where you look in the mirror and realize that in a, in a semi-public form, you ask someone personal questions about their anatomy yeah, in yeah. order to win the, an argument. And you're going to feel like a complete idiot. And I'm yeah. sorry I won't be there for that moment. But, yeah. you know, if you behave anything oh, yeah. like that, like you did on my page, I, I won't be that sorry. Or but, somebody will just drop an anvil on your head. Well, you know, and it gets back to this thing we talk about on the show all the time, right? It's the lack of a accountability for opinions expressed on the internet, right? Yeah. The, the proliferation of anonymous reviews as if, mm. as if book critics deserve whistleblower status, you know? <laughs> like, I, I've reached a point in my life where I won't uh, post something on the internet that I'm not comfortable, A, having it shared far and wide with everyone, oh, yeah. and B, answering for it. Oh, I, I don't you know? post anything that, that couldn't go up on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. Right. I mean, I've, I've 
you know, I stand behind everything I post. But, but I you think know, I think we have to remind ourselves that there are wonderful things about the internet. Absolutely. And incredible things have happened because of it. And so it's worth that little downside. It's liberating the whole country. I had a lot it's of fun last night. Oh, liberating whole country. Look at you getting all, all But great. it's now true. I feel petty. I, but it is. You're right. True. You're absolutely right. We're getting reporting from Syria currently entirely through social media because right. we're yes. not present. Yeah. That's very I, true. I think those kinds of things are phenomenal. Yes. And I think it's also worth noting that there are consequences to being that sort of negative, horrible person. It, yes. it, does, it has nothing to do with me. That's your world you're creating. If you're creating a world that is completely filled Absolutely. with negativeness and nastiness and mean thoughts, that's the world you live in. I just see you for Absolutely. 10 seconds on and, the Internet and then you're gone. And I reposted something particularly nasty that somebody had said in this sort of see what they say to me kind of way. And everybody's response, and it was pretty gentle and loving of them, was don't feed these people. You're just <laughs> reposting what they posted. And I think it was you. Eric, who said to me years ago that the the emerging rule of social media was whatever you respond to, there will be more of. Right. Because people are trying to connect. And so if you reward a behavior Mm -hmm. on your page of a certain type, there will be more of that behavior. And and I think it is possible to respond. Like, I had fun posting humorous responses to the jokes people made about my seeing images of my junk on the side of rest stop bathrooms. And all of that was fun. And, and, mm-hmm. and But I, I, get, I think your point is very well taken. I think it's this rapid collision of different people and different thoughts and yes. different opinions that, that sometimes creates things that are ugly, but also creates things that are amazing. Amazing conversations. <laughs> I, your yeah. decision about your religious affiliation I oh, wow. started a worldwide conversation. I know. that was I never expected that. I made that statement. I quit. I'm quitting Christianity. Right. And I expected. I wanted to tell my readers. I wanted to tell the page. And it actually, truly went viral. It was headlines Literally. around the world. But it brought. It caused a lot of a other lot people, of people to examine their own faith and That's to right. to have this discussion, which I think yeah. is worth having. Whatever side you're on, yeah. there's nothing invalid about it. And to that end, I think that the internet and social media are a phenomenon. I do too. Unlike almost anything I've ever I, seen. I think before. the positive, the, the positive of it. aspect are so incredible yeah. that if we just have to take the but negative But as God stuff. is my witness, I will never answer questions about my 14-inch penis again. I got I'm just, to agree with so you, Chris. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. You and John Hamm. Everybody, yeah, me and poor babe. We said we're not talking about John Hamm. We said we're not talking about him. He was in the Knot Report tonight. I could make a joke now. And I'm not. Mom, you got to make the joke. It's the dinner party show. That's our tagline. Just make the joke. Well, Chris, 14 inches, huh? (laughs) No, uh, no, no. Don't make the joke. Well, actually, it was maybe longer than that before. (laughs) Never mind. Before you had it augmented, before you mutilated me. I was going to post on Twitter today. Anne Rice is joining us on the dinner party show for live circumcisions all night long. While oh you wait. God. You know what? I really feel like it was that cyber attack that put us in this crazy mood. It was. Mood. We're honey boo-booed. That really was quite the <laughs> moment. So what's the, the next uh, controversy you're going to drum up on your Facebook page? Oh, my page? gosh. They come to me. I don't have to you yeah. know, I don't have oh, to Oh, you just are an it. innocent victim. Hillary, <laughs> Hillary for president. No, not, not yet. <laughs> yes, I'm all now. for her being president. Let's get ready. Let the woman take ready. a nap, for the love of God. <laughs> I need a nap. Let us take a nap. <laughs> but, I heard you earlier. I just had to rebel. I love her. Hillary for president. Hillary, yeah. Hillary, Hillary. Speaking of Facebook, we have people chiming, chiming in, um, and they're chiming in so quickly I'm losing their posts. Uh, Nicholas Rue says, I personally think Facebook breeds a false sense of familiarity between people. Uh, 
Raymond Whelan says, how many people have had to leave or rethink their personal faith to come to these conclusions? That's an interesting thought, I guess, about circumcision. And Justin Simpson says, as Justin Simpson and Eric Shaw Quinn are the same person sometimes. The worst thing than being talked about is not being talked about here, at all. Here. Oscar Wilde. <laughs> yes. Which yes. is an excellent point. Right? As long as they're talking about me, I hardly care at all what they're saying. Yes. Good old Oscar Wilde. Said everything best first. There's almost nothing worth saying. And then you and said yet, it again. And yet we managed to go on. Again and again and again. Well, do we have any more questions you want? We have so many we... questions for you, Miss Rice. Well, what ones do we... We're getting closer to the end of the show, so what ones do we absolutely want to get to before we go? Well, let's disprove this one right away. Jake Mayo says, I'm under the impression that Tom Cruise has bought the rights to make the Vampire Chronicles. No. <laughs> no, that, that has never happened. Um, I think if Tom Cruise was interested, I would have heard from him a long time ago. He he did a wonderful job of playing Lestat in the first movie, but I've never heard him express any interest since that time in playing Lestat. So that's not and true. And he also uh-huh. gets things made. So Yes, he does. And I would be happy if he called, but he Might has be not. be in production, but yeah. no, not this time. No. He's Jack Reacher. The rights to the Vampire Chronicles are owned by me. That's where that's at. Nobody has bought them. So, what other questions do we have that we can answer? They all want a movie. I'm leafing through the questions. And all the questions well, are about a movie. movie. Too. I Every, want we, a movie, we too. We all want a movie. I we all want a movie want of the Vampire movie. Chronicles. We can practically make a whole, write a whole a movie, book about what happened I want a movie of the Wolf Gift and the Wolves of Midwinter. So, I want talk my about the Wolves Kinder. of Midwinter. We ha- that's yes. actually your next book, and we haven't spoken about it very much. I think somebody asked if you would be going to Philadelphia on your tour for the I Wolves of Midwinter. I hope so. I really loved being there last time. I love going to Philadelphia. But you know what? It's always up to the publisher. They'll decide where to send me, and they'll let me know where I'm going to go. But the book will be out October 15th, and I will be in New Orleans for this book. That I know for sure. I'll be at the. I at, will be with you. Yes, we, we will. are both attending Undead Con and Undead a, Con yeah, and the Vampire Lestat their fan club ball for, for right. Lestat. We're attending it. It'll be the weekend I think before Halloween. And the ball is on Friday night, and anybody who wants to come, you know, it's can contact. It's a ticketed event, yeah. Yeah, oh, Anne wow. Rice's Vampire Lestat Fan Club New Orleans. They have a big website, just just Google. My first yeah. supernatural thriller, which you have read, despite my oh, earlier I have. claim, yes. The Heavens Rise will be coming out around the same time as yes. The Wolves of Midwinter, and we'll be doing a signing together in New Orleans. We will be. I will also be appearing at KillerCon in Las Vegas, which is in September. I will be a guest of honor. This is a new horror convention oh, wow. that's happening at the Stratosphere Hotel, the wow. Stratus Hotel. So this is now about me. Yes. Um, but yes, no, absolutely, you're going to New Orleans. But it yes. is, it, I think people think book tours are planned much further out than no, they actually are. No, they're not, and yeah. they depend uh, on what various cities and venues want to offer to the publisher. And what bookstores are still open. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I, know. I think it's, people don't realize kind of that hard. the book tour was about going to bookstores, yeah. and a lot of them are not there anymore. That's right, that's right. But I will go anywhere they send me. I love going to different cities. I always It really have. is nice to talk to people about the book. Oh, like it's yeah. outside of your head. It's like yeah. running into somebody who actually know, has read the book and can talk with you about it is Absolutely. my favorite part. Absolutely. And and you know brings the, it to life. The pool of readers really differs. You know, like like in Toronto, there there's one kind of reader and one kind of event, which is very mellow, very literate, very, very friendly, very polite. I mean, the Canadians are absolutely wonderful. And then you go to a city like Chicago, and the readers are, are enthusiastic and rambunctious and come out of the snow, you know, just standing <laughs> out there for five hours in the freezing cold and say, boy, I love the Vampire Chronicles. I love your books, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to other places where readers are very 
polite mm-hmm. and and deferential and and sort of timid and shy and you almost have to say well thank you for coming and is there anything you'd like to ask right. and, and then they'll come out with a question I like that. I, and all yeah. these cities have their personalities they they do they really and do. I, I, with me I do much smaller events than you but I would do a Q&A and I would read and then at the end I would say does anyone have any questions and there was only one city where no one had one question what city Ann Arbor Michigan Aha. Uh-huh. Was it cold? No, it was summer. The book okay. came out in August, and okay. it was still sort of summer, maybe they, early well, they're fall. they're very bright there. They actually know everything already. They do. Arbor. It's, it's a, a university it's town. A very yeah. smart population yes. there. They yeah. just said, no. I just, they all stared at me, no questions. And mm-hmm. then they come up in line and ask you a probing personal yes. question, like, yes. Hillary or Obama, yes. top or bottom? <laughs> I had one kid in Kansas City Boxers are brave. Both. One kid in Kansas City asked me the same question. Hillary or Obama? And I went, uh, um, Hillary. And they said, top or bottom? And I went, <gasps> for shame. What does that mean? Mom, come I don't on. know what you're talking Girl. about. <laughs> Girl, you lived in the Castro. <laughs> what are you talking about? In, in the bedroom with oh, your male oh, partner, oh, oh, that, are you going to oh, be a top or oh, bottom? Oh, I thought you meant top or bottom of the ticket, president or vice oh, president. No, actually, so I didn't sweet. know. You're so I'm, pure of I, heart. I know, it's terrible. You're so pure. Such a sweet I never girl. want to assume that anything is too intimate, you know. Uh, <laughs> 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 Nothing is too intimate on the dinner party nope, show. Nope, nope. Absolutely. It's intimate. That's what we're calling well, what, what it, do, huh? What do I want to answer that I haven't what answered? What was the one about well, the, the you TV get this, show? Oh, yes. How could I forget Frank oh. Lozier, who asked the best questions, wants to know if you could write an episode of any TV show currently on the air, what would it be? Oh, I would love to write an episode for White Collar. I'm sorry, you can't say White Collar. I would like to write an episode <laughs> for Person of Interest. Oh, okay. Person the of Person of Interest. of Interest with Jim Caviezel is... My favorite show right now okay. happening. It really is. White Collar is always my favorite show, too. You know, right. Because right. I love Matt Bomer and, Matt Bomer Je- and Tim so Decay and Jeff Easton, the producer. They're, They're all beautiful. Right. Right. But I would write for them anytime. I would love to. I would I would love to write okay. for and, and them. Okay. And so I'm going to change the question. TV show of your classic TV that's not on the air anymore. If you could write one episode and you no. can't say Dark Shadows. Oh, I'm you sorry. mean something classic uh, that's no more. You can't really write an episode of Dark Shadows. I guess Columbo. That was one of the greatest shows ever. Really? Oh, yeah, Columbo was, was great. And and it was always a crime of the rich and famous and the privileged and the gifted and the spoiled. <laughs> right, and so getting forth. taken down by this kind yeah. of slob. I interviewed, was so cool. I interviewed the creator of Columbo at the West Hollywood Book Festival a few years ago. He was great. And it was yeah. maybe, it was 117 it was, degrees. It literally broke the thermometers downtown. He was an old man. He's we in were his late afraid 80s. we were going to kill him. We were afraid an outdoor But he was event. so charming and so funny. And well, it, he did a genius thing yeah. with that show. I watched. Really I recently brilliant. rewatched every episode, and it really holds up. It's it's quite stunning to watch it. Absolutely. And it's a show also that has a special look to it. They had special furnishings and rooms and sets, and and they they were doing a lot of complex things. That old things. car and that uh, yeah, it wasn't just that old car, but they they dealt with a certain kind of fashion, yeah. and so it has almost a masterpiece theater quality to it now when you watch it. There was a whole thing. There was sets. that the, the NBC thing where there was McMillan and Wife and Columbo and yeah. uh, the one with Dennis Weaver. I can't remember yeah, McCloud uh, and McCloud. But yeah. yeah, it was the the mystery series or whatever. Yeah. They did a, a, it. was an hour and a yeah, half show, and it was mm-hmm. much better production. Production values than regular television. It was. it was more like movies. It was more like little it movies was. that they were creating. Very much that masterpiece yeah. theater feeling. And they would get into some really complex. Christopher stuff. is not old enough to know about any I'm of this stuff. I'm not old enough so to know. I, I saw a few got episodes. To come of, out to Palm I have Springs. to tell you, it's the pacing of TV from that era that gets I know. to me. That's They'll the do difference. a five-minute scene of a car pulling up a driveway, and I was like, people just had less to tweet. 
They had less they to had, look they at. They had absorb. a different concept of editing. There's Absolutely. no question about it. Editing is the biggest change that's happened in the last. It's, it's the post MTV era. MTV yeah. changed editing into those little blip vert, 10 million edits yeah. things. Things were much more European, very sort of Absolutely. languorous, long, oh. slow. Well, edits. we have reached the end of our time here. I know, children. I know, children. But you shouldn't have messed with the computer if you didn't want the show to end. It. Seven o'clock. That doesn't. I want to hear the cat again. Can I step on the cat? Yeah, step on yeah. the cat. Here you go. Step. Dan, <laughs> stop picking on that cat. <laughs> stop picking on our cats, mom. That's a Britney fabulous. Can I fabulous. do a shout the cat out to Maribel? Yeah, you can give me a shout. Not to Maribel. Maribel. No, to your other cats, the ones we like I more. I want to shout out to Maribel. All right, shout, shout out to Maribel. Hey, Maribel, be as hateful as you are. I'm coming <laughs> home soon. Cat lady in the his house. All right, well, you've been listening to the Dinner Party Show, and due to a computer malfunction, we rescheduled our last hour, and so we're going to close out the show now, but we're going to remind you that next week we'll be joined by Tony Sweet. Uh, founder of the Tony. Universal Broadcast and Network and a former guest on our show. For this show, absolutely. A pioneer in internet radio. And we will have Ann Rice back very, she's very soon. Very she's, soon. I think she's stealing stuff off she's of the now table. filling her pockets chocolate, with cookies and chocolate. chocolate. And we want to thank all of you out there the in the world of Facebook and beyond boxes. for listening to Waiting us tonight. I'm just going to keep talking over their bickering yeah, about yeah. shoplifting here at the, right. at the studio. You've been listening to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we'll be back next Sunday at the usual time. Thanks and don't for forget listening. Jordan.